It is Locked on Jazz for the 27th of October. Lineups, 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 and more lineups. Will Hardy going into a bag of tricks of crazy different lineups and how many could he possibly use? Shows all the versatility he talked about. Who is Talon Horton Tucker and what do the Jazz have? And what's going on in Los Angeles? Does it impact the Jazz? And offensive rebounding is here to stay. That's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, And hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We thank you very much. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps and platforms for you. And we're available on YouTube as well. Thanks very much. If you're on YouTube, subscribe and hit that bell button. So we get notified every time Ron and I go live after a ball game or anything else. Uh, Jazz go to 4 and one it's interesting how a few weeks changes perspective. I think a lot of people, including myself, thought that could have been the Jazz' first win of the year. That that, that was the first time we, I expected the Jazz to be favored in a game. It was the second. They were favored in Houston. Um, when the year started, that was, that was really my expectation, was that that would be the first game all year the Jazz were favored. And, um, you know, I think we're a little like, oh, so we beat Houston and... Um, you know, they came down from 19, and it got down to two, and the Jazz answered, which is really consistent to what we're seeing. And that might be where this team was misjudged the most, is just that you're having, you have Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Lowry Markinen, you have veteran players on the floor. Now, Kelly Olynyk fouls out last night, and once again, Will Hardy is playing a different dance card than he anticipated. Uh, and that, to me, is the story right now. Here's some crazy numbers for you on what Will Hardy has done with lineups and versatility. The number one word that Will Hardy used around this team in all of training camp before we ever got started was versatility. We heard him talk about versatility, versatility of players, versatility of lineups, versatility. And, you know, to the same point of what we talked about this week where Will Hardy said he was concerned about training camp because of the fact that the players had so much playing time available that he was concerned how they would all interact. Um, And that, you know, he tried to get across to them that we have to do this as a collective group. Okay, so far this year, according to NBA.com, the Utah Jazz have used 56 different lineups. 56 different lineups. They have used only two lineups in all five games. They have used only four lineups in four of the five games. All right, let's just stop there because this keeps going for a while. And it's kind of, it's kind of nutty. But so in the opening five games of the season without a significant injury other than Colin Sexton last night, 
The Utah Jazz have only used two lineups in every game. They are Mike Conley, Kelly Olenek, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Markkinen, and Jared Vanderbilt. They have started all five games. And then Rudy Gay, Colin Sexton with Taylor Horton Tucker, Malik Beasley, Rudy Gay, and Walker Kessler have played all five games. That five-man lineup has played together in all five games. That is the Jazz starting lineup, and that is the Jazz five-man bench unit. Interestingly, by the way, neither of them has been particularly good offensively. Uh, Both of them have actually been pretty good defensively. That... um, the Kelly Olynyk, the starting lineup, according to Cleaning the Glass, is plus 5.8, and the bench unit is plus 8. Um, the offense has been really poor on the Colin Sexton, Malik Beasley, Taylor Horton Tucker, Rudy Gay, Walker Kessler lineup, but the defense has been great because we all saw that coming. Like, that makes no sense. So, small sample size, we'll roll with it. Okay, here's part two. He's only used four lineups, as I said, four times. So, that's Colin Sexton in that. It's not even actually, they don't even like fl- Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Markin, and Kelly Linick, Walker Kessler has played in four of the five games. Mike Conley, Malik Beasley, Taylor Horton Tucker, Rudy Gay, Jared Vanderbilt has played in four of the five games. So we only have two lineups that's play, have played in every game. We only have four lineups that have played in four games. We only then then you get down. There's a, only eleven five man units that have played in three of the five games together. So we'll already talk about versatility. It keeps going. We've used fifty six total lineups this season. Let me just keep keep going with these numbers because they're they're kind of stunning. We only have four lineups that has play, have played more than 10 minutes together the entire season. Four. We only have one lineup that's played more than 17 minutes together. If you use cleaning the glass for a second, you look at possessions, which might give you a better idea than minutes. We only have four lineups that have been on the floor for more than 20 possessions together. And we only have seven lineups that have been on the floor for more than 15 possessions together. What, what to me is most remarkable about this is here Will Hardy's putting together this group and they're trying to find continuity and they've never played together and these guys don't know each other at all. And, and then they're out on the floor with four guys they've, they've never played together. Now, I couldn't figure it out because um, I didn't quite have it in spreadsheet form to be able to do this this morning. But last night, we used 19, the Jazz used, 19 different lineups last night. In a 48-minute game, Will Hardy used 19 different lineups. The starters played just seven minutes together last night. The bench unit that plays together seemingly every game of all five games, right, that we talked about, that they've played all five games together, um, I, I... think might have played a minute together somewhere, but I can't find it. Like it's in there because they've played all five games together, right? But it's not like, it's not actually easily findable. It's, they played two minutes together last night because Colin Sexton got hurt. Rudy Gay, Malik Beasley, Colin Sexton, Taylor Horton Tucker, Walker Kessler only played two minutes together in the first half before another sub. I, I, I don't have any idea 
um, how many teams have ever used 19 different lineups in a game, but it can't be very many. I mean, due to foul trouble last night, like the starters only played seven minutes together. There are only four four groups who played five minutes together, obviously. I mean, at some point you just can't. So this tells me a lot of different things. One, it's a real tribute to the players that in a group that doesn't know each other and doesn't have back knowledge together, that they're finding a way to play together and play well together when they have this many different groupings on the floor together. It also stems to an interesting comment that Will Hardy made in the pregame. Again, credit Jonathan Fagan, Houston Chronicle, for asking the question. He asked him about that when Jabari Smith got hurt, whether the Jazz or Jabari Smith ended up starting and Singun didn't play unexpectedly the other night, whether all of a sudden he had to, you know, we had the Jazz had to like just throw out their game plan and put in a new one. And Will Hardy said, no, we didn't, we had to adjust, but we didn't throw out stuff. And he said, and then Jonathan Fagan answered back saying, well, you've got these veterans in Conley and Markinen and that can do these, can adjust and do these kind of things. He said, right, but I've got to be able to be able to play from the very top to the bottom. And, you know, maybe you're right. Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson and Kelly Linick have all played a lot. And Larry Markin, we could probably do that with that group. But then my next group needs to be able to do it also. And so that comment at the time was like, oh, okay. Well, then he rolled out 19 different lineups last night. And to me, what jumps out about the 19 different lineups last night is that, well, you're coaching consistently from top to bottom and not instituting a bunch of new stuff all the time and letting the guys get somewhat of an understanding of who they are. Then you end up with being able to do what you're doing right now. If you're putting in a ton of different stuff and you're playing one way with one group and another way with another group and doing those kind of things, well, then all of a sudden you're really beholden to having those groups on the floor. And right now, Will Hardy is not beholden to having those groups on the floor. Instead, what he's doing is he has the ability to just play on the fly and adapt. And he's got an incredible feel for it, clearly. And his players are playing along beautifully. It's a neat combination. I'm not sure I've ever seen it. Now, Jerry Sloan was pretty static and had Stockton Malone for all his years. And so if you have a guy, and the Jazz under Quinn were pretty static because you had Rudy wanting to play three stints and Donovan's playing two and you're trying to match for a while. You're matching Boyan with Rudy and then you're watching Mike with Rudy for the last two years. So those those take away some of the abil- ways to do this. And so you're just seeing a different style and you're seeing a different team. It's pretty interesting. Um, kind, of, kind of blown away by it, actually. It's pretty cool. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Summit Cap. By the way, Taylor Horton Tucker, Lowry Marketing is our conversation points next. Um, there's a group that invested in lockdown called Summit Capital. Uh, they're out of Utah County. Matt and Dave and Jeff, good good people, and they are looking for to provide capital for management that's seeking to buy out the owner of the business they work with. So you work for a company, you know someone works for the company. The owners, they've done what they're going to do. It's time, but they're holding on. They don't really have an exit strategy. And as a management member, you're looking at the company and like, wait, if we do this and this, it'll take an investment, but we do this. And the owner's like, you're probably right, but I I don't want to like do that. Like that's effort. Like that's time. That's risk. I'm not, we're, we're past that. So that's the time, right? That's the time for them to have their exit and have their equity event and time for you to take over the company. And that's what Summit Cap is here for you to be able to do. Uh, Contact Matt 
at 801-796-2033 or text Matt at 801-796-2033 and um, get in touch with Summit Cap because they're entrepreneurs themselves. They approach investing with the mind of the entrepreneur. Unlike private equity or venture capital funds, they're not artificial timelines or existing investments. They invest for the long term and they invest in types of um, both debt and equity. I, I will just attest to you that they were not media experts and yet they were a great partner because they asked the right questions and they didn't get unnaturally involved. Um, so I can attest to that about Jeff and Matt and Dave. Locked on Jazz at SummitCapUtah.com if you want to email them or just go check out SummitCapUtah.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. A lot of fun stuff going on at Prize Picks. Good way to get involved over the weekend. 100% deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKDOWN. That's where we should start because that's the big thing for you. Prize Picks is daily fantasy um, and a chance for you to pick two to five players. If you go and they score more or less than your Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times on your money entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport imaginable. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals. Current operation in 30 or more, 30 states and Canada. Download the Prize Picks app. Go to theprizepicks.com. Sign up. Daily fantasy sports. And let's finish where we started. First-time users receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. The promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, prize picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, prize picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter your promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. Please take the time and turn our good friends over at Locked On Sports today as your second listen. 22-minute recap of the night in sports. Totally great uh, way to get caught up on everything going on. Check it out. It's Locked On Sports Today, hosted by Peter Bukowski. The local experts of Locked On jump on and give you all of the latest details of everything taking place. Um, and then they do a wonderful job of giving you ending up with the news you need to know. Uh, 22 minutes, you'll be completely up to date on the sports world since you're watching the jazz game. Or you have a wife, or you have kids, or you have a dog, or you have a job. All the reasons... Why we cannot keep track of all things going on in sports. All right, who is this Talon Horton Tucker? This is pretty fascinating to watch. This is a player that I have, I'm not sure I've ever had experience with something like this. He's six foot four, 234 pounds. I mean, he frankly plays the game, as I've said, like a fullback. He wants contact like a middle linebacker. His game is completely driving to the basket and making contact. And yet then, at the same time, all of a sudden last night, he drives the lane and just packs it. They're using him in a really good fashion right now. They're using him with the ball in his hands. His time of possession, which actually is be interesting to look up. I don't know if I could do this off the top. I hadn't thought about that. Is really high, I'm certain, compared to the way the Lakers used it. The weakness for Taylor Horton Tucker is he's just not a natural three-point shooter. I love the fact that he's aggressive and he's taking the shots right now. He's taking three in 16 minutes, which is a lot. He was taking three in 25 minutes with the Lakers. Um, He's, so far in his career, over four years, let me give you a little background on Horton Tucker. So he gets, he goes to, he's out of Chicago. He's kind of a legendary Chicago hooper. Um, Interesting kid. He's from the north side of Chicago, and he plays ball on the south side of Chicago. Now, south side kind of has its reputation, its whole deal. 
and the South Side's tough. So a lot of kids don't go North Side and then go play South Side. So you know that's a that's a pretty interesting kind of piece of the puzzle to who this kid is. The next part of Taylor Horton Tucker that's you know just a great story. So we'll share this as well. Is that Taylor Horton Tucker's uh, grandmother was so involved in the community that the the street that Taylor Horton Tucker um, grew up on is now named after his grandma. In fact, the tattoo on his leg is about his grandmother. Um, his mom's an elementary school teacher, um, and he grew up playing ball, and he ends up going and playing on the south side. He goes to Simeon. Simeon's kind of a legendary Chicago school. So he goes to Iowa State for a single season, and he has a decent year. He plays 35 games um, doesn't shoot it well. He shoots 31% from three. He scores 12 points, five rebounds, two assists. And he's this kind of crazy, unique body at 6'4", 234. So is he a power forward at 234? Is he a shooting guard at 6'4", but he can't shoot? His, what is he? And he, he goes out in the draft as the youngest player in the draft, despite not having a great year in, in, um, in Chicago. And he gets drafted by the Lakers in the second round with the 46th pick. It was actually by the Magic officially, but he goes to Lakers. So his first year, he plays just six games. And that's the COVID year. So he ends up winning part of a title with the Lakers. He gets credit for um, 2020. He actually plays, I think, about two games in the Western Conference um, semifinals against Houston in that series, but not, not a lot. But he does. He wins 2020 championship. But that's also a, a pretty crappy rookie year. He plays six games. And then these guys, this class, is de- class development has been stymied. Then there's, there's no summer league that year for him to develop in, and there's, there's no training camp, really. And so he plays the next, the 2021 year, which is the first year out of COVID. He plays 65 games, plays 20 minutes a night, and he does fine. Then he gets last year, which is the first year kind of back to normalcy, and he plays 25 minutes a night for that Laker team last year. He, again, same kind of story. He shoots 42% from the field, just 27% from three. He was kind of the Lakers' favorite son. He shoots 80% from the free throw line, which leads you to believe that there could be a three-point shooting uptick. He gets big. He just gets crooked numbers. Like in baseball, there's a phrase as a pitcher, you never want to allow crooked numbers. And in basketball, you want crooked numbers. So he plays 25 minutes a night, and he averages 10 points, three rebounds, three assists, a steal, and half a block. And that's kind of what he's doing here. He's only playing 16 minutes from his 25 with the Lakers last year. He's averaging eight points, three and a half rebounds, two assists, a steal and a half in 16 minutes, and half a block. He's just like a whirling dervish of activity and length and impact. And, you know, he's not a prototyper. Like the kind of in phrase is arch, archetype or archetype, whatever, of players. That's kind of what the people, I don't even know. Obviously, I don't use it. Last night, he plays 28 minutes. What I think super interesting about what the Jazz are doing with him right now is while Colin Sexton is probably thought of as the backup point guard, what I'm seeing with my eyes is that Taylor Horton Tucker is our backup point guard right now. And one thing you can do with players who do not have gravity, right? So in other words, Taylor Horton Tucker's not a particularly good shooter, 
And so you're going to have a little bit of a hard time having him out on the floor because of the fact that it ends up, you know, they, they're not going to guard it. Like, they, if he takes a three, it's not bothering anyone. So he can really, he can really clog up spacing if you're not careful. And so one of the things that you've seen with this, he and you saw it in Nikhil Alexander-Walker in the train, in preseason is that Horton Tucker's putting the ball in his hands an awful lot. Um, I'm actually kind of looking here. Um, per game time of possession on the Jazz. I just pulled this up while I was chatting. I, was, I didn't even buffer that badly. So Mike Conley's obviously number one, 6.8. Clarkson is two at 3.4. Sexton is 3.0 time possession per game. Marketing. Alinek, and then Horton Tucker. But average seconds per touch, which might tell you kind of like who has the ball in his hands, Horton Tucker's third. And average dribbles per touch, Horton Tucker's third behind Conley and Sexton. His touches are not nearly the same. Um, His points per touches are pretty good. But it it gives you, I think, a little bit of an idea of what Horton... Tucker's role is on the team that his his average seconds per touch is the is the third most on the team behind uh, Conley and Sexton, and his average dribbles per touch is the third most on the team behind Conley and Sexton, even more than Jordan. So, he, the one way you deal with the fact that he doesn't have great gravity is you put the ball in his hands. And last night with Colin Sexton out, that's that's really what the Jazz did last night. He was terrific. Um, he might, you know, he was one of our two stars on the postcast last night. He had uh, 28 minutes. He went 5-11 for the, you know, 2 of 7 from 3. So there's the willingness to take the 3. 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, and 14 points. 14 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals. And he was positive last night as a plus 8 on his plus minus. So it's... It's a really interesting player. It defies a little bit of what you would anticipate out of a player. Here's the crazy thing. He's in his fourth year in the NBA. He's 21. He's 21 years old. Now, he will turn, the end of this, in a month, he turns 22. But that's a pretty crazy thing. With this much time and this much experience, he's still this young. And has a, still has a lot of work to do with his body. But he loves that contact. Boy, he drives, puts his shoulder down, hits into someone... It's pretty interesting. All right, three more things to touch on today. Lowry marketing, just really good. What happens to the Lakers and conversations with Steven Silas and Will Hardy that offensive rebounding is here to stay. Those things are all coming up as we continue on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Thanks for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. Please grab Locked on Sports today for your second listen. Catch Peter Bukowski and the crew. It's a great 22-minute Catch up on all things sports. I've heard about it, Locke. Yeah, so go listen. All right, uh, Lowry Barkin is just really good. Like, it's fun. The The array of skills that he has. Um, the dunk on the pick and roll on an out-of-timeout call by Will Hardy on a clear-sided pick and roll between him and Mike Conley was pretty awesome last night. Um, he's shooting 49% right now from the field, which is a career high. He is not shooting his three well, so his two-point shooting is better than it's ever been before. He's at 64%. He has shown us a rolling hook through the middle right-handed. He's shown us a rolling kind of runner through the look left-handed. We've seen him play in the post. We've seen him play in isolation. We've seen him play pick and roll with the ball. We've seen him play pick and roll on the roll. Pretty wild. 
pretty wild to watch this 25-year-old really come into his own right now and play with this level of demand on him and getting to watch him put it together every night. Be interesting to watch. Denver gets him a second time. Different scouting report tonight. That, that will be worth keeping an eye on. Then we come back, we get Memphis back-to-back. Second time through. What, is, what are teams doing is they've seen the Jazz a second time through. Uh, Lakers lost last night. It's kind of like the ugly elephant in the room that I don't think anybody really wants to talk about because we're 4-1, we're playing so well. But you know, when the year started, the discussion was would the Jazz be willing to take on Russell Westbrook's contract in exchange for the 2017 and 2019 first-round draft picks by the L.A. Lakers, unprotected, in continuing to add to the collection and move major vital pieces to this team. And the Lakers are really walking down a dangerous path where at some point they have to do something. Unless they're suddenly going to get into the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. They're, they went 8 from 30 last night from 3. They are starting Patrick Beverly and Austin Reeves as their guards. And Lonnie Walker as their small forward, who the, who the Spurs basically let go. Their bench is Tony Brown Jr., who I think the Wizards basically traded and let go. Juan Toscana Anderson, who didn't play in the finals. I mean, it's so bad. And they're 0-4. 0-5, and 0-4. And it is really interesting to see what happens. So the big question is, with the Jazz starting 4-1 and and tied for Portland for first in the NBA right now, 0-4 Lakers. If the Lakers come calling, what do they do? And I would just say that it, I think, I don't think, I think when, when the year started, the comment I made to you is we have to get into the, in the viewpoint of having a 36-month kind of thought process rather than nine-month thought process. I still think that's true. I think all decisions for this franchise should probably come down to a 36-month look at things than just tomorrow. Which would make for, you know, another brutally hard decision for our front office. Probably not real easy to trade Rudy Gobert, and probably not real easy to trade Donovan Mitchell. And the next one won't be easy either. But there is a point where if 17 and 19 unprotected are on the board, that might be a necessary call. I don't know what the Lakers can do, but I they have to do something. And they've now boxed themselves into having no leverage. So offensive rebounding rate last year was 24.7% of all misses were offensive rebounded. And right now it's 28% which is a dramatic jump and is probably a large reason for the offensive jump. I asked both Will Hardy and Steven Silas last night whether or not they thought that this was here to stay, and they both said yes. Steven Silas said offensive rebounding is a thing. And Will Hardy said yes. And they both quoted both analytics as well as anything else. So the analytics, which used to be that you... Got Doc Rivers and Greg Bovich preached that you don't offensive rebound and you get back in transition. And then the numbers began to show that actually there was no correlation between good transition defense and offensive rebound, which I've preached on the show for probably eight years. And then preached 
not like comfortably said, like annoyingly preached. I got it. I used that word intentionally. Then what happened is offenses kept getting better and better and better. And so offensive possessions became more and more valuable. And when offensive possessions became more and more valuable, then offensive rebounding became more and more valuable. Former jazz coach Vince LaGarza did a lot of work on this and was like pretty, was ahead of the curve on this. Um, and the, so now suddenly you're offensive rebounding. The next data point that Steven Silas pointed out was that it used to be that you believed that if you got back better, you were stopping transition. The truth really what might be that if you crash the boards and everyone has to box out, you're stopping transition. There's enough numbers showing that there's more correlation between high-level offensive rebounding teams and low transition teams than the, and, low, and, and allowing low transition than there is the other way. That you actually get caught more in transition if you don't offensive rebound and just send everyone back. Will Hardy was asked, like, well, do you want to crash two or three or one or what's your number? He's like, everyone can crash. Just either crash or don't. Will Hardy's point is like, if you think you've got a chance for the rebound, go get it. If you don't, just whatever you do, don't get caught in the middle. Don't get caught in the middle. It's a pretty interesting comment. And then his comment last night about Vanderbilt was like, hey, he's committing two fouls a night. Like, he pushed a guy, two guys, two hands on the back of a guy 14 feet away from the basket on a play where he had no chance for a rebound. We, we can't have that. So I think one of the big stories here early in the season is going to be offensive rebound. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow from Denver. It will be an Ask LOJ show. So if you're ahead of the game, send me a hashtag, Ask LOJ, with a question. I'll try to remember to throw out a tweet or two about it, but it'll be a Friday Ask LOJ from wherever we're staying in Denver, beautiful downtown Denver. I'll have a gorgeous view of the mountains. No, I won't, because you actually can't see the mountains from Denver, only from Salt Lake. Okay, a little Rocky Mountain trash talk to end the show. Have a great day. Talk to you soon.